We are in a series called Encounters with uh, Jesus, and this morning we're going to be looking at um, the story of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and their encounter with Jesus. So we are in John chapter 11. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn there, it will come up on the screen as well. Um, It is quite a long passage, so you're going to have to bear with me a little bit, Um, but let's read that together. I feel like I'm feeding back. Am I feeding back? So, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then we'll just skip ahead a little bit to verse 17. So they've traveled now towards Martha and Mary, and it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here, and he's calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus still hadn't come into the village, but it was in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw her rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, And saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odour, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Um, the week of mine and Katie's wedding, um, back 10, 11 years ago now, was, um, <clears throat> was a really difficult one. And not just because Katie was a bit of a bridezilla a week. Um, but I had two family members who were both quite, quite unwell. Uh, the first was my dad's partner at the time, a lady called Sue. He's uh, since married another lady called Sue, which isn't confusing at all. Um, and my sister and I have taken to calling them old Sue and new Sue. Um, but anyway, Sue was, Sue, was, Sue was very unwell. She'd been in hospital for a long time. Um, it turns out that she had been drinking way too much, going out, drinking at home, even drinking at work, it was discovered. Um, and the amount of alcohol that she drank um, just caused her body to shut down, uh, really. And she wasn't, um, she wasn't a small lady. Um, she... But the transformation of her body in ICU in a really short period was quite drastic. She was just skin and bones, really. Um, but she came out of her coma uh, a month or so before our wedding, and so we had this sliver of hope that she'd be able to, to come on the wedding day, even if it was just for, you know, for a part of the day. Um, and the second person was my, was my granddad, or, or papa, as we called him. Um, some of you will have known him. Some of you will still know uh, my nan, June, um, who is still part of Gateway. Um, but Papa had been deteriorating with dementia for, for the previous few, few um, years. But of all the people that I really wanted um, at my wedding, apart from my wife, um, <laughs> were, were Nan and, and Papa. Um, you know, they became and still hugely are important to me. Um, you know, but in spite of his dementia, we, we had this hope that he'd be able to be there. Um, for it, again, for at least some of the day. Um, I think it's probably fair to assume that most of us, if not all of us, have had kind of similar moments, similar difficult moments, moments where we wanted a particular outcome, but we weren't quite sure yet what was going to happen. Maybe it was because of illness or a difficult moment in your marriage. Um, maybe it is because you were searching for a job, or you had to flee your country, or you are waiting for exam results, or children making big life decisions, whatever it was, if you can think back for a moment to how you felt before you knew how everything was going to turn out, before you knew that outcome, you know, that moment where you're living with the uncertainty and the anxiety and the stress of, of wanting this particular thing, but not quite knowing how it's going to turn out. Maybe you're even living like that now, in a moment like that now, and you're desperately hoping and praying for a positive outcome, but you're not yet sure how everything's going to come round. And that's a little bit how Mary and Martha are feeling in this story. You know, Lazarus, is their brother, is seriously ill. He's on 
death's door and they're living with that stress and the anxiety and the uncertainty of, of whether he's going to die at any moment. But they have this sliver of hope. And they have this sliver of hope because they know the healer. They know that he loves them and he loves Lazarus. So we read that they send a messenger to him to tell him that Lazarus is ill. You know, and I find it fascinating that they don't even ask Jesus to come or to come quickly. You know, they just tell him that Lazarus is ill and then they have faith that when Jesus hears, he'll straight on his way. And, and that's actually where the story takes a really interesting turn. So if we read verses 5 and 6 again. So verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer where he was. That word so, at the beginning of verse 6, you could also translate as therefore. Right, Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Therefore, when he found out he was ill, he stayed where he was for a few more days. It's easy to skip over that, isn't it? Like, it's easy just to not notice, but it's actually quite an unusual reaction. You know, Martha and Mary are desperately hoping and praying, crying out for Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. They have faith that Jesus is the healer. They have faith that he loves them. They have faith that he'll answer their prayers. But he doesn't. He doesn't heal Lazarus. He doesn't even come straight away. And now you have, you have to, we have to remember that while we know the end of the story, while we know that the reason Jesus delayed was because he wanted to do a miracle that would glorify him and that would lead many people to believe in him. Martha and Mary, they have no idea what's going to happen. You know, they are crying out for Jesus to come and to save Lazarus, but Jesus doesn't show. But eventually, as we read, Jesus does decide to head towards Bethany and Martha goes out to meet him. And the first thing that she says is, is Jesus, why weren't you here? Why weren't you here? You came too late. And I, um, <laughs> I remember that great bit in The Lord of the Rings, if you remember, where Gandalf um, comes to Bilbo's, back, Bilbo's birthday party and Frodo runs up to the side and he says, you're late. And, and Gandalf says, a wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Um, which... Lord of the Rings reference, proper down with the kids. Um, but that's, I mean, pretty much, right? That's, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. It's never too late with me. It's never too late with me. And this I am statement that he says, this is one of the famous I am statements in the Gospel of John. If you don't know that all the way through John's Gospel, Jesus, Jesus repeats this phrase of, of I am. You know, I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection of the life. And if you remember back to the book of Exodus, when Moses asks for God's name, um, and God says to him, I am who I am. Tell the Israelites that I am has sent you. And that's where we get, you know, sometimes we sing songs where it has the word Yahweh in, and Yahweh is just a Hebrew word that means, that means he is, because it'd be weird for us to call God I am. Um, but so Jesus is saying that he is the I am, right? He is God. He is the one who gives life and he is the one that takes it away, as we sang this morning. He's the one that upholds the universe 
by the word of his power. He's the source of life. He is its sustainer. You know, he's saying to Martha, there's not just some generic raising of the dead on the last day, but that he alone is the one who raises the dead. More than that, he not only raises them, he is himself the resurrection, and he is himself the life. There's no resurrection, no eternal life outside of Jesus. And so Martha is in despair, but Jesus pushes back against her despair. He argues against it, and he gives her hope. He speaks truth to her about who he is, God, the resurrection, the life, and he speaks truth over her and over Lazarus. You know, you both live and believe in me. You will never die. Is there any chance someone could grab me a glass of water, please? Thanks, Al. And so Martha then goes back to Mary, we read. And again, interestingly, it's really easy just to miss. But Mary comes to Jesus and falls at his feet. She says the exact same thing, word for word, as her sister. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Exact same thing. And what's interesting, again, is that Jesus' response to Mary is the opposite of his response to Martha. He doesn't argue with Mary, thank you. He doesn't push back against her despair. Instead, he joins her in her grief. He enters into her pain and her sadness and her suffering alongside her. You know, not only is he fully God, the resurrection and the life, but he's also fully human. He knows what it is to suffer and to grieve and to ache. He knows the power of death and the grief of loss. And then we get these incredible few verses from verse uh, 33 and this, this phrase about Jesus being deeply moved in verse 33 and 38. And let me just read this, um, this Tim Keller quote to you to help explain what's happening. So he says, this verse contains a Greek word that means to bellow with anger. And he's talking about that phrase, deeply, deeply moved. So that Greek word means to bellow with anger. And somehow no translator feels that he or she has the freedom to say what every single commentator and Greek expert says that the text is saying. Jesus is absolutely furious. He's bellowing with rage. He's roaring. Who or what is he angry at? Jesus is raging against death. He doesn't say, look, just get used to it. Everyone dies. That's the way of the world. Just resign yourself. No, he doesn't do that. Jesus is looking squarely at our greatest nightmare, the loss of life, the loss of loved ones and of love. And he's incensed. He's incensed. And in his raging and his bellowing at death, he manages to get a few words out to Mary. You know, where have they laid him? And as Mary leads him to the tomb, he breaks down in tears and he weeps. Again, Jesus knows what he's about to do, doesn't he? He knows he's about to raise Lazarus from, from the dead, and yet he's still shouting, physically shouting against the injustice of death and weeping. You know, he has entered into Mary's pain and suffering and heartache. And then again, we know what happens next. <laughs> Jesus um, tells them to open the tomb, to roll the stone away, and he calls to Lazarus and tells him to come out. And out Lazarus comes in this quite amusing picture, kind of shuffling like a penguin, 
in his grave clothes looking like an Egyptian mummy, um, which actually isn't, isn't insignificant. If you, if you think to Jesus' resurrection story, uh, if you remember, his grave clothes are still lying in the tomb in the shape of his body, and his face cloth is folded up neatly to the side. Um, Lazarus is walking out in his. You know, Lazarus is raised from the dead, but Lazarus dies again. When Jesus is raised, he is raised to resurrection life. And then we read in verse 45, right at the end of the passage that we read, that many of the Jews who were with Martha and Mary believed in Jesus, right? Mission accomplished. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Jesus has been glorified and many have come to believe in him. And now you might think um, that in a series called Encounters with Jesus and talking about this, this passage, you might think that Lazarus is kind of the obvious choice um, to talk about. He had quite some encounter, you know, from death to life. Uh, but I actually really felt like God had laid Mary and Martha and their encounters with Jesus on my heart for this morning. Um, unfortunately, my wedding story didn't have an altogether happy ending like Mary and Martha and Lazarus's story did. Um, Sue, uh, old Sue, she slipped back into a coma and she died five days before we got married. Um, and Papa's dementia, uh, dementia kind of worsened to the point where he wasn't able to be with us. He was in a care home um, at that point. And in fact, he had very little idea of who I was or that I was even getting married. Um, and he died just over six months six months later. Maybe your story didn't have a happy ending either. Maybe what you were hoping for, praying for, crying out for, didn't happen. And maybe you have been, or you still are, asking Jesus, like Mary and Martha did, where were you? Where were you? Why didn't you show? You said that you loved us. Why didn't you come when we needed you? If you had just turned up, everything would have been different. You know, Jesus doesn't just answer questions in the Gospels. He doesn't just answer questions. He answers the questioner. Does that make sense? He doesn't just answer questions. He answers the questioner. And that's what he's doing here to Mary and Martha, right? They say the exact same thing to him. Where were you? You came too late. If you'd have been here, Lazarus would still be alive. And if he was just asking, answering the question, he, you'd expect him to give the exact same answer. But actually what he's doing is answering the questioner. He's answering them. He knows that for Martha's hope to be restored, he needs to speak truth to her. He knows that for Mary's hope to be restored, he needs to come alongside her and weep and rage against death with her. So if you're asking those questions here this morning, God, where were you? Why didn't you show? Why didn't you answer my prayers? I believe that God wants to not just answer your questions this morning, but answer you, the questioner. I heard, um, I heard a great quote um, on a podcast the other day. Um, the original quote's from a guy called John Whitfliet. Um, and he says that, the purpose of Christian worship, by which he means the gathering of the church, uh, the purpose of Christian work, what we're doing this morning, the purpose of Christian worship is to prepare people for their encounters with death. 
The purpose of Christian worship is to prepare people for their encounters with death. And whether you agree with that statement or not, I found it quite helpful. And it's exactly what Jesus is doing here with Mary and Martha, the disciples, the other mourners gathered around. He's preparing each of them for their own encounters with death. He's teaching them to say, blessed be your name, even in the desert places. He's teaching them to say, like Job, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. He's teaching them to remain faithful to the end, to trust in him, even when it looks like he's not answered, to persevere so that they can say, I ran my race well. You know, I don't always know why it appears that God doesn't answer all of our prayers. I don't know why he doesn't always answer all of our questions. But I believe that he too, is preparing us for our own encounters with death. He's teaching us how to remain faithful to the end, how to trust in him, how to persevere so that we too can say we ran our race well. Um, There's a song that I was listening to as I was preparing by Andrew Peterson, um, a song called The Rain Keeps Falling. And it's a song uh, written about his struggle with depression. Um, he's a Christian, Christian songwriter, but he writes this song about this struggle with depression. Um, and there's a verse right at the end of the song where he recounts the story of him and his, his daughter, who's quite young at the time, um, gardening after a particularly uh, dark and intense period. Um, and he, he writes in, in the song, my daughter and I put the seeds in the dirt. And every day now, we've been watching the earth for a sign that this death will give way to a birth and the rain keeps falling. Down on the soil where the sorrow is laid and the secret of life is igniting the grave and I'm dying to live, but I'm learning to wait and the rain keeps falling down. You know, as I said, I don't know why all of our prayers don't get answered. I don't know why God doesn't always come when we expect him to but like Mary and Martha I believe that he's teaching us to wait teaching us to hope teaching us how to walk faithfully even when there doesn't seem to be a happy ending in sight and I know at the end of it all that he knows us he knows you he knows you intimately he knows what you need in your moment of despair he knows what you need to restore your hope just like he knew for Martha that she needed truth and for Mary that she needed to know God weeps with her he knows what you need in your heartache so we're gonna um we're gonna respond in a minute or in a few minutes um but I just want to tell you first a, a little story I got in um, in a Substack, uh, an email newsletter, um, the other mind that was it, uh, the other week that was in my mind as I was preparing this, and, and this lady, um, a lady called Sarah Bessie, she tells uh, the story of a, um, a Christmas tree farm, very topical for this time of year. Um, but she tells the story of a Christmas tree farm in the U.S., um, and I know absolutely nothing about Christmas tree farms. But apparently, you'd normally expect like hundreds and hundreds of these perfectly neat rows of Christmas trees, fat Christmas trees, ready to be cut down um, before Christmas. And then they would dig up the roots um, and the stump and plant, just, you know, ready to plant a new Christmas tree in there 
for the, for the same thing next year. And they just do this over and over again. Hack it down, dig up the roots, plant a new one. Hack it down, dig up the roots, plant a new one. But this little farm that she was writing about in her email does things differently. Um, so a tree hardly ever dies in their forest. Um, instead, they grow their trees, they harvest them carefully, um, and then the gardener cultivates their original stump for a new tree to grow from it. Um, and these trees grow new trees out of the cut wounds of the old ones for generations. Um, and it's a technique called stump culture, like a type of coppicing, and the cuts made higher up the tree trunk so that the stump and the roots remain alive even after it's um, cut back. And these stumps and roots become the foundation for all of the trees that are then produced in the years ahead. And, and what's interesting as well is, that, is the fact that unlike where the roots are dug up every year on the normal kind of farm, which just kills all undergrowth, kills all kind of life, um, here, because the trees are never dug up and because no insecticides are used, all of the undergrowth and the diversity um, in the forest floor is, is allowed to remain. Um, but because they're still coppiced, because they're still cut a little bit higher up, it allows seasons of sunlight to get into the undergrowth, um, which just results in, in this huge ecological diversity of plants and animals and reptiles and insects. Um, you know, so where the normal method destroys the soil, this farm's method repairs it. It brings it to life. And in this email, you know, how she shared this story really stood out to me. When we experience moments like this, when we experience moments like Mary and Martha, moments when our prayers don't seem to get answered, moments when our hope is, is laid bare, we're like those trees that are cut down, you know, where once we were evergreen, now it just looks like we're a stump with no life to it. And she, she says, she writes, our hopeless eyes see a barren forest of tree stumps, but the gardener who remembers the ancient path sees the hope and the possibility of new life. It's not life as it was before. This is something new, born out of the roots of what was lost. <clears throat> well, I believe it's right there, actually, in our lowest moments, in our lowest moments, that God often wants to surprise us with a branch of hope and new life emerging from our wounds, just like he did for Mary and Martha in their lowest moment, where their brother had died, where they had lost their hope, lost maybe some of their faith in Jesus to answer their prayers and to be the healer. It's then that he comes and he surprises them with hope and with new life. And she goes on um, to write in her email, <clears throat> it doesn't undo what stole your hope from you. This is a hope that kisses your wounds, gently binds up your broken heart and breathes new life into the parts of you that you think are dead. And then it attends to you until the deep knowing of the love that holds all of us takes root again. This gardener of hope sees the root of life that's still in you and he cultivates everything that's wild and unexpected, hopeful and redemptive in you, bringing forth life that you never imagined, life that repairs the world at your feet. 
Um, and so I believe that God wants to cultivate hope of new life in some tree stumps this morning. Um, I believe that he wants to cultivate hope in some of us this morning, where maybe we've lost it, where maybe we've asking some of these questions that Mary and Martha were asking of God, where were you? Why didn't you show? I believe that God wants to cultivate hope. So Anne and the band, are you happy just to come up and um, play in the background for a few minutes? So maybe you're, uh, this morning, you are feeling a bit like Martha. Right, what you need to hear is truth. The truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who you are in him. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak truth into your heart this morning. Maybe this morning you're more like Mary. And what you need is to know that Jesus is alongside you and he's weeping with you and he's raging against the injustice of suffering in your life. I believe the Holy Spirit is the alongside one and he wants to come alongside you this morning and bring comfort. I know I've not talked about him much, but maybe in fact you're a bit more like Lazarus. You've not been coppiced, you've been hacked down. The roots are dead. There's no life anymore, no faith, no hope. Maybe there never was any. You know, maybe you're here because it's what you do, or because your wife has pulled you along, or because you're too afraid to say what you really think or feel, or because you're worried you're going to lose your community, your friendships. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to resurrect you this morning. I believe that he wants to bring life from death so can I invite you to stand if any of that resonates with you this morning if you're struggling with the pain that comes from an unhappy ending from unanswered prayer from lost hopes I just invite you to come to the front and to respond by coming to the front. You know, if you feel like you've lost your faith or you've never had it, but you feel and you hear Jesus calling to you like Lazarus this morning, can I invite you to respond just by coming to the front? I realise coming to the front in these moments requires you to be very vulnerable and courageous. You know, as I was reading this story, I couldn't help but notice that Jesus never goes all the way into Bethany. He never goes all the way to Mary and Martha's house. He waits outside the village and they come to him. And I'm not saying that Jesus can't encounter you if you're more comfortable in your seats or that you can't go to him from where you are. But sometimes I think it's as we physically enact coming to him, it's as we physically move our bodies that Jesus encounters us. So please do, please do come. Just ask the Holy Spirit just to minister to you in the way that you need this morning to cultivate hope and new life in you. And then I just want to finish by praying um, a blessing that was written in this email over us. 
and then the band will just play quietly for a few minutes and we'll finish with a song of worship. So let me just pray. May you embrace both your hope and your lament, your realities and the possibility of redemption. May these moments bring clarity and repentance and resolve to you. May you be gentle with your heart sickness and offer it to the fiercely tender Holy Spirit who comforts and guides by day and by night. In the places of your life where you feel like a clear cut tree right down to the ground, may you sense the life of God stirring in your roots. May you practice your hope develop it, set it into your life. May you encounter the gardener who sees the root of life still in you and cultivates everything that's wild and unexpected, hopeful and redemptive in your soul and your body. And may you bring forth life that you never imagined, life that repairs the world at your feet. Amen.